This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Monday and that means it's time for the Zoomer Squad. Last week, Ontario Auditor General Bonnie Lissick released her annual report and it had many damning details about the state of our healthcare system. The level of patient harm in Ontario is unacceptable. Six in 100 patients entering the hospital in our province suffer harms, ranging from foreign objects left inside them during surgery to pressure ulcers that result from not being moved. The only province with a worse record is Nova Scotia. So here on the show, also, we discussed in detail the problem of nutrition in long-term care homes, including those three-month expired liquid eggs served in one of the facilities that was inspected. Now, disability support, the costs are up 75%. Looks like there's a lot of fraud. And there are also problems with community health centers. But maybe we start with some good news today. We'll see what it means for Zoomers. In Bob's news, we just heard that the Liberals are uh, have introduced their promised middle-class tax cut for people making up to, I guess, $140,000 a year. Marissa, is that good or will it not catch a lot of our people? What's the deal? Well, I'm not sure that someone making $140,000 a year is necessarily middle class, but I suppose that's the definition that the Liberal government has um, committed to. Um, And I imagine, you know, certainly a lot of people in the Zoomer audience would benefit from that. There are a lot of people that are making less than $140,000 a year. And with the costs of living rising constantly, they could they could probably benefit from a few extra dollars in their pocket every year, for sure. Peter? Yeah, well, um, you know, it, it'll help uh, individuals. You know, the most they'll save is 300 a year for families, 600 a year. So, I mean, it, it was an election promise and, and they fulfilled it very early. So uh, that's rather interesting. Mm-hmm. David, what do you think? Well, every dollar is a good dollar. I think it's uh, they, they did make that pledge. They did fulfill it. You can quibble about um, is it enough, uh, where is the cutoff. But frankly, any political party is going to define it any way they want. There's going to be critics on both sides of that. You're giving it to people who earn too much. No, you should increase the threshold. I think on balance, they need to be given credit for having followed through on what they promised. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, I want to give out a detail here. So they have e- increased the basic personal amount exemption, which is the amount that you can earn before you start paying taxes by almost $2,000, which means the first $15,000 you make will be tax-free. And everybody gets that. Now, I've heard criticism because everybody gets that. But uh, it, it looks like um, it's quite significant. Uh, according to Morneau, it'll lower taxes for 20 million Canadians. 
the first 15,000 is, ta- is tax free. You know who yeah. also had that in their platform is um, Maxine Bernier. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> I remember to that. see two polar opposite sides come together. <laughs> and and it'll, it'll knock a whole bunch of people who are at the bottom line from paying tax at all. Uh, Morneau said a million people will no longer pay tax because of this move. So, again, it seems to be benefiting lower class, lower income and uh, middle to upper income. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get to the health stuff. That's uh, fairly scary. Uh, Marissa, out of all that smorgasbord of, of bad news, uh, what what do you think is, is the most pressing? I think it's all pressing, right? I mean, it's painting a picture of a pretty bleak healthcare system for Canadians. And I know that we've talked about this on your show before. We spend sky high on spending as a percentage of GDP compared to other OECD countries, and the results are pretty bottom of the barrel. Now, the one thing that stood out to me was just how poor the meal services in long-term care. And we know that food is a huge part of quality of life, and it's difficult to put a price tag on it. But if you look at the total amount that is spent on food in long-term care and you divide it by the number of people living in long-term care, you're looking at dollars a nine, day. Nine dollars a and day. And the only yeah, province it's, that's worse, yeah. as you mentioned, is Nova Scotia. That's at around, for harm. That's, that's, that's for leaving surgical but no, Nova Scotia is also worse on spending long-term care for right. food. It's about five dollars a day. Okay? Yeah. I, I mean, that's, and, that's the money and, they have. And again, we're not asking for caviar and champagne here. But what we are asking is that these people be fed the kind of meal that you, hey, bureaucrats, are ex- expect to be fed at night when you go home. Mm. Or, you know, Minister Elliot, what do you eat? Do you eat three-month-old expired eggs? Because that's what's being served to patients in long-term care. Yeah, I mean, uh, th- that was really, there's always there's almost always, you know, one thing that really sticks in everybody's brain. And it, it, David, you know, it wasn't even just the quality of the food. There was certainly that, but uh, people were getting their meals late in terms of there are a lot of people who need help eating. They weren't getting the help eating. It's because there aren't enough people. I mean, and a lot of this is, is an old story that we keep trying to hammer away at. Well, I think I think that's true, and I think the, the most serious thing to me, and I looked at the long-term care thing, I also looked at the local health, the LINS and CHC critiques, and now, now the disability thing, and there's a common denominator that runs through it all, and that is that there doesn't appear to be any management. These All these groups, all these silos, and I mean, they should be siloed, obviously some a different group is going to worry about long-term care than they're going to worry about disability payments. But all of these different subsections of the bureaucracy failed to meet measurements, self-imposed criteria for monitoring and for measurement that they had said they were going to do. And, and, and the big critique was that they didn't even look at the stuff. If you look at the disability numbers, the fraud, the, the fact that it went up because so many more people are, are collecting disability insurance, but the ministry was unable to say who these people were and why they were collecting. They weren't monitoring it. Well, the local uh, health care, they weren't monitoring it. So it looks like system-wide, they're just, nobody's keeping track of anything. Well, and it's, it's staggering when you think of all the money that's spent on bureaucrats who are supposed to be administering this. I mean, I think that next year there will be all kinds of other problems because, as you know, the LINs, local health integration network are being phased out 
and the tr- they're transitioning to these Ontario health teams. And there are a lot of disgruntled people in that transition. Uh, the heads of the LINs who make hundreds of thousands of dollars each for not monitoring these things have just been fired. But I, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we have to give it a chance and see what comes at the end of it. But but I think that there's all kinds of stuff happening in the transition. And from what I understand, these Ontario health teams will be given a tremendous amount of latitude in terms of what they can and cannot do and who's going to be overseeing them. There's less oversight, as far as I understand, because the idea is that these Ontario health teams will work directly in the community. And and rightly or wrongly, I mean, there, there's some merit to both sides of that. Um, and again, all of that will fall under this sort of Ontario health umbrella. Um, but I guess the idea is that by giving the people, the frontline workers in the community, the freedom to be able to make the right calls for the patients in that community, maybe that'll lead to better outcomes. But, but on the oversight, just to go back to that, the thing that scandalized me the most, it isn't just somebody coming in afterwards and saying, hey, where's the oversight? It's oversight that they themselves declared they were going to do. For mm-hmm. example, the CCACs were supposed to report to the LINs on wait times. They did not. And the Auditor General reported that they hoped to be up to scratch on this reporting by 2023. I mean, these were, these were criteria that they themselves said, we're going to be measured. This is the data we're going to collect. This is the data we're going to feed up, this, up the line into the system. And they did not do that. So it's their own self-declared criteria for oversight that they are habitually violating. And that really... And that, to me, is just amazing. They're violating, but it also smacks of of a capacity issue, right? Like, we know that this is a this is a system that is strapped from a capacity perspective, and so it's likely that that's probably one of the things that just falls away, because uh, they just don't have the Could staff be, yeah. to be able to do it. Well, yeah, they have... a. There are there are a lot of layers of administration. As a matter of fact, CCAC actually was abolished. And the reason was a previous Auditor General's report, which talked about how much of that money is eaten up in administration. Exactly. I'm, I'm trying to recall the number, but it was huge. So they they were supposedly getting rid of that. Now, I know from people on the ground that the same people are actually doing the work. And in some cases, it's still called CCAC, but it was, it was gotten rid of for that very reason. Well, no, no. CCACs were always creatures of the LINs and they added a bunch of sub LINs to take over that particular work. It it all goes to David's point from last week that it's just building on a bad system and building on a bad system. and, And really they have to gut the whole thing, clean it out and start anew, but there's no there's no bureaucratic will to do that or no, no political will or political will. Yeah. Let me give the numbers out again. I'd like to hear from people if uh, there is anything uh, in that Auditor General's report that is particularly egregious for them. Uh, maybe you have some good news getting news about this middle class tax cut. Do you think it's a good idea? Is it going to help you out? The numbers to call 416-360-0740 toll free. One eight six six seven forty four seven forty, and I am here with our Zoomer squad. So yes, uh, whoever I interrupted, David, please go ahead. 
Yeah, the, uh, getting back to the uh, some of these failures, it's not just a matter of uh, cost control. It's a matter of monitoring. It's a matter of saying, what is your whole philosophy? If you're in charge, for example, of the Ontario disability thing, to, to go to that one for a minute, which everybody would agree on matter on a matter of um, fairness and social justice and progressive social policy, there ought to be a, a robust disability program. But now it turns out that they would not monitor what they declared they would. They were allowing people to be declared disabled for life without ever checking back on them. They, they had, they wrote off, they wrote off $400 million worth of fraudulent overpayments. That's without even going beyond that. That was the part they were willing to acknowledge. And then we heard from Bob at the one o'clock news about the fears that they might be billions of dollars short in meeting their needs going forward. Well, here's a half a billion just in the disabilities program that and they the, wrote off for fraud without even batting an eye. The so number, who's, who's minding the store? <laughs> the number of fraud allegations is 42,000. Right. And, and the other... And how many of those were investigated? They were not... 2%. Yeah, yeah, they were not investigated. Yeah. And then the Auditor General came to the conclusion that the caseworkers are not trained. They don't know right. how to investigate it. Yeah. I mean, they're, I guess they're just trained to say, yes, you're disabled. Well, but- it's not a, like, I have a son who, who goes through that system and it's a, he went through a very rigorous, uh, you know, we, we went back many, many times and had to give everything. And like, so maybe we just got a caseworker who was following the rules and, and there are others out there who don't follow the rules or something. But the truth is right. Like these are services that are, the, the services that are provided through ODSP are for, are meant to be for Ontario's most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that you don't want to maintain a cycle of poverty. You want to ensure that those that are employable are able to get work. Um, and so that means ensuring that there are proper medical reviews that are done regularly, not so onerous that it inhibits someone who actually requires this program to be able to get the reason. But if there's a finite amount of money, you want to make sure it's going to the most vulnerable, the people that need it. And these fraud allegations, I mean, it's pretty shocking. Hmm. To see how much waste. I mean, and the the population part of it. So the payouts went up seventy five percent in ten years, while the population went up up twelve percent. So do the math. It's mm. not hard math. Something is wrong there because. And she and she commented. The auditor general commented that the ministry was unable to explain the rise in the number of people receiving, um, you know, these these benefits. And I think that echo what Marissa says. Nobody wants it to be unfair. Nobody wants it to be punitive. We need to get the help to the people that need it. There's always going to be some tiny number greater than zero, no matter how hard you try, that they're going to, you know, be able to collect, uh, you know, uh, questionable amounts. But this is just, this is just like nobody's watching. Well, yeah, and and uh, it's. I mean, I don't know. I guess uh, you know. It's been said that when you're dealing with government money, it. It gets treated differently. Mm-hmm. No, and it's possible that with, uh, you know, an aging population, there would be an increase in the people num- that require ODSP. It's possible, but, you know, the numbers don't necessarily add up. Well, I wouldn't, mind if, I wouldn't mind if the increase was exactly what it was, and the ministry could explain it. I'm right. not saying that, but they, they didn't know. That's the, I mean, the, the outrage isn't only the, the increase. It's that they had no idea why or how they weren't checking it. They, weren't, they had no explanation for why the amount went up by that, 
that much. And then that's that little silo, and then back to the limbs, and then back to the, you know, everywhere, and the long-term care homes with the expired eggs. I mean, everywhere you look, you have these little micro uh, outrages, but they add up to a system that is fragmented and with no apparent oversight. Okay, let's take a call from Alexis in Aurora. Hi, Alexis. Oh, hello, Libby. I just have one word for the whole thing, and I'm listening very carefully to everything everyone is saying. I call it corruption, because when you have no checks and balances, when you have bureaucrats that are highly paid and they're doing nothing, um, all I can say is thank God that some of them were fired. I think they should fire the whole lot of them and start from fresh. And I think what the conservatives are planning may be an improvement to this whole scheme of corruption that seems to be going on in the healthcare. Okay, Alexis, uh, thanks for that. Uh, I wouldn't yeah. be throwing around words like corruption. <laughs> that We, of course, can get sued for doing things like that. Though, obviously, they're talking about allegations of fraud. And here, here's another thing that's kind of outrageous. And, of course, if people lose their livelihood, you want them to get a fair hearing. But this, is, this came up. I talked to the Auditor General when we had her on last week about nurses getting fired and right. then being for incompetence or inappropriate behavior and then getting rehired at other facilities. And, and of course, when we hear about that, the thing that comes to the top of mind is Elizabeth exactly Wetlaver. Right. Exactly. Exactly right. So here are some cases involving physicians and money. So uh, physicians get malpractice insurance, which the government reimburses their, them for. So mm-hmm. we pay for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't have an argument with that, but they're saying one particular physician's disciplinary case took four years and cost the hospital $560,000 and an ongoing disciplinary process for the same physician at a second and third hospital where they're still practicing had already cost the two hospitals more than a million dollars. I mean... Uh, you know, it boggles the mind. How do they get rehired? Well, they. it sounds like he might have been, you know, doctors can practice at more than one place. Mm-hmm. They divide right. their time. Maybe he was right. hired at all three of them uh, at the same time. Who knows? Sure. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm speechless, right? Yeah, no, I, I, oh, I, I'm speechless. It's very, it's it's very hard to... To um, you know, prosecute a doctor. They they you know they um, entrench themselves. They surround the wagons up with other doctors, and it becomes they they put up legal hurdles, and and uh, and, it, and it becomes a very costly and then you, uh, business, and then you just quit. You know, you just let them okay go practice. We we can't we've done what we can. The, you know, there and has, that's what happens. There has to be a better system. And going back to your first point about these nurses that are that are uh, uh, disciplined and, and terminated for, for negligence and malpractice and then getting rehired. Again, it's, it's, which is the lesser of two evils, right? I mean, you've got a system that it does not have enough frontline staff to meet the needs of a population. Our hospitals are so overcrowded. So you get rid of that nurse. The likelihood of them reoffending is pretty great because they've already done it. But then you get rid of them and who's going to fill that void? Well, the, the, the other thing is, though, I mean, the auditor general said there needs to be more communication between the, the facilities and the hospitals Absolutely. so they know. But 
I'm sorry. It's the the unions are very strong and it is very difficult because nurses are giving all, all kinds of opportunities to better themselves. And I guess that's reasonable. But but the bottom line is that they can't. No, you're absolutely right. And the same thing happened with Elizabeth Wetlaufer when she was terminated from caressant care. Um, she got a letter left with a glowing recommendation. Recommendation, yeah. And then went on and and proceeded to reoffend. So, okay. But it all, but, but but I think it all goes back to if the underlying philosophy is to take care of the patient, the customer first, the patient first. Then, I mean, I say in defense of unions, if you look at the private sector, there would be the unionized workers at an assembly line at a at a car manufacturer or some other business know that ultimately if they make if they put an inferior product out on the road uh, their company could go under it may go under anyway for reasons that aren't their fault but in the private sector you don't see uh, you know the same degree of uh, let's say indifference because they know there are consequences in the marketplace sooner or later here there don't appear to be any consequences for failure. And I'm not advocating a private healthcare system, but somehow we have to get the patient-centered philosophy into the healthcare system to say we have an obligation to deliver a level of service that is being delivered in other countries. We're not delivering it here. And we're going to keep on, you know, firing the top brass till we get a team that can do it. Okay, we have some people who have actually worked in the healthcare system, maybe not right at the moment. So let's take some of these calls. Joan in North York. Hi, Joan. Hi. Yes, I'm a former RN that worked for CCAC. Um, and my job was I saw people in the hospital that needed care. And so I set up services for them um, in the home. And it was regulated by an RN then. So um, the RNs that went in, the OTs or the physios or the healthcare aides or PSWs as they're called, um, we made sure they didn't stay in beyond the need. And we had to do home visits if you're uh, like a CCAC nurse in the community. So at one point, I forget, they thought, oh, we'll get rid of you. Um, it'll be a lot cheaper. But then they realized if people go in and nobody is managing how long they stay in, they're going to charge the healthcare system a fortune. So I guess that's why there's people in management to control other people to try and keep the, the dollar, you know, the healthcare dollar down. So if that makes any sense to anybody. Okay. So you're saying you managed it and kept it in control. Okay. That's a whole, you know, that was our purpose was to, you know, from the hospital's perspective, to put in what was needed for short, like, you know, what they needed just to go home. And then the, what, what they called the in-house ones that were in the community, they would go out and visit them, make sure that they got what they needed and got them out, the professionals and the PSWs, as quickly as possible. Okay, because- Joan, thanks for that. Let's go to Debbie in York Region. Hi, Debbie. Hi there. So I have a couple of comments to make. I've been and currently still am working uh, in the healthcare system. I've been doing it for over 40 years. I have several comments. Number one is families are required by law to report when their loved one is in the hospital and if they're collecting long-term uh, disability or any kind of 
uh, provincial dollars. They do not. Uh, they don't for several reasons. Number one is because they can't afford to live where they are if they do report it. When we've brought it, brought it up to the attention of social workers and administration, they do nothing about it because it's bad PR to say, hey, you've got to call somebody and we're going to cancel this or put it on hold for right now. So that's number one. Number two, the number of nurses that are truly uh, at fault, and it's basically a system set up for us to fail. Mm-hmm. Uh People, younger people have said to me, uh, how do you stay in this job for this many years? They've been there for two, three years. They're looking to leave to go someplace else. The workload is absolutely incredible, and administration and the system is set up to cause us to fail. You can't serve more than one master well. I'm lucky if I get my first break of the day by noon hour, having started at 7.30 in the morning. And... The other comment is that we are, we are, you, I've been reported for not smiling at somebody. Oh, wow. So, uh, and I, you know, come and walk a, a day in my shoes, and uh, I think you'd be very surprised. The other part is uh, about your comment about uh, skin care and uh, bed sores by patients not being turned. Mm. Uh, this is, uh, A, not true. Uh, and the other thing is, what that do you mean? Think- what do you mean? Not true. The the, the so, level of pressure pressure sores, oh, according to the no, auditor general, not I'm not cause. making this up. Is the worst problem when they measured patient harm, and Ontario has the second highest level of patient harm in the country. So, uh, for- no, no, I, I agree with the comment about the pressure ulcers, absolutely. But the one thing that is never ever spoken about. When uh, And I've challenged several doctors to bring it up with families and with patients, but they won't do it because, again, it's bad PR. The largest organ in your body is your skin. If you can't perfuse your heart, your brain, how are you going to perfuse a huge organ like your skin? You can't. So the reason for skin breakdown is the number of people who are in hospital and they are needing oxygen, to, just to be able to survive, never mind to support their skin. Okay, uh, thanks for your call, Debbie. Let's take very a quick welcome. one from Keith in Stouffville. Hi, Keith. Hi, Libby. Yeah, I, I got, maybe I'm a little off topic now because I was phoning really when you were talking about the disability and, and go that, ahead, go know. ahead quickly. <laughs> yeah, and I would say I mean, just to say that there's a fleet of lawyers that are ready to help these people exactly. that get denied disability. Like you know, they, why were they denied for some? There must be some reason, and uh, you know. And a lot of times, usually not by more, the government. Do you, do you get, Libby, do you get more on welfare or more on disability? I, people I, are trying to get on disability rather than be on welfare. Well, I, I the, you know, I think that talking about that basic cottage industry of lawyers is is a very good point, but that wouldn't refer to the government disability program. I think that refers to long-term disability that you would get through your employer. Oh, okay. No, and, because I know and, there's a lot, uh, of, you know, they, a lot of, probably a lot of fraud in, in the, the private disability. I, I know, are a, a, lot I know a couple of friends of mine, they've got kids that are on disability, you know, and and they, and they should be really working, you know. But anyways, great show, I'll tell you that. Lots of good comments in that, too. I was listening to your comments, you know, before. Okay, Keith, thank you very much for that. We appreciate the compliment. Uh, Thanks for that. Goodbye. Bye-bye. You know, that that is 
a whole other topic for <laughs> another day. Yeah. And, and I think that that, you know, all those ads from all those lawyers and obviously it, that bids up the cost. But in that case, I don't think it's the cost of the taxpayers. It's it's business. Mm -hmm. But uh, we have uh, got to uh, wrap up here. So what would you like to leave us with, starting with David? I think um, what we heard also from the people in the healthcare on the other side of that um, discussion is, again, a failure of management, a failure of working backwards from the needs of the patient who supplies those needs, which are the nurses, the professionals, does the system exist to help or to get in the way? And right now it seems from both sides the system is getting in the way. And I want to be clear that, you know, some of the comments that we made earlier, this is not an indictment on frontline staff. We know our frontline staff are serving to protect people and hospitals and community and so on and so forth. And we want to make sure that they're supported so that they can meet the needs of an aging population. This isn't meant to be an indictment on nurses. So to Debbie's point, no point did I, did I, do I hope that I ever conveyed that message? I mean, yes, there are nurses that, that um, obviously have been terminated for negligence or, or malpractice, if you will. And they ought to be, um, you know, punished accordingly but for the most part i think these people are oh, in this industry to do and, and to we, do good yeah. yeah and we we heard from our other caller about young people saying i can't hack this yeah I'm, I'm we know that burnout is else. burnout is high and we need to make sure that it you know the environment is there to to serve them too well debbie said it's a system set up to fail so um you know which politician is going to have the guts to take it on and, and clean it up and well you know well, they, they the claim question. they're doing yeah. it, so we'll have to see how it works out. Yeah. The thing that worries me about all of it is that it's, it's always unintended consequences. You plug one hole exactly. and it springs a leak somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. Uh, on that cheery note, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Peter Mugridge, Marissa Thanks, Lennox, Libby. and David Kravitz. And we'll be back with the Zoomer Squad next Monday. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.